Our text this morning will be 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses uh, three, uh, 3 through 7. We've kind of already done 1 and 2. So 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 through 7. So you can see when I gave Jan the bulletin, I, I got a little dyslexic on that. and I, I sometimes have a hard time with numbers. I'll put numbers in one spot and... When they, y'all ever do that? Does anybody else do that? I just can't. They diagnosed me with that when I was a little kid, and it's kind of sad after all these years to see I still can't do it, but (laughs) I've gotten a lot better. And if you have a learning disability, don't be discouraged by that. You know, sometimes they say you got a learning disability. You know, I'm about to get a, I'm about to get my fourth degree, so you can do anything if you put your mind to it, kids. So if they tell you that you, something's wrong with you, nothing's wrong with you, you just have to work hard. Let's look at uh, verse 3 there, chapter, two, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. All right, go again. <laughs> Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Uh, this, is, uh, this first verse here is a, uh, would, if you were a Jew hearing th- this first verse, you would know this is one of the 19 ways that the leader of a synagogue would open up a synagogue service. And he, so he says, blessed be the God, blessed be God, the Father of mercies. Uh, but, but here he says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, signaling to the Jews there that the God that they worship is the Father of Jesus Christ, who's the Messiah, our Lord Jesus, the Christ. The Father of mercies. What does it mean that God is a father of mercies. What that means is that God, you you know how when you you feel an emotional attachment to somebody? When you think, we all have friends, we think of them and it just warms our heart because our hearts are so drawn out to them. We love them. When we see, y'all have those friends, you see them and you're just so excited to see them. Uh, The Kuntzes, our missionary family in Ecuador, they're gonna be here on September 18th. I'm gonna let him preach that morning. But whenever I got a Facebook message and Matt said, we're coming to Olney or we're going to be in Texas. And I, I mean, I was just so excited to see them because I love spending time with them. I have an emotional heart connection with Matt and Amy and, and uh, just love their kids. Well, that's the way God feels about you. That mercy idea is an emotional, it's like God loves you with his heart. What a, what a great blessing that is. To know God's heart is drawn towards you. And he's also the God of all comfort. God is a consoler. And we can think about that that consoling comfort. The way whenever a a child falls and scrapes their knee, where do they run? Straight to daddy, right? No, they run (laughs) straight to mama. And she consoles them. Daddy says, walk it off. You're not hurt. And mama says, come here, come here, come here. And she consoles that little baby. God is a... Father, a God of all comfort, and he's a refresher when we're tired and when we're hurt and when we're needy, he refreshes us. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, Father of mercy, God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, as Christ's sufferings overflow to us, 
so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same suffering that we suffer. Our hope for you, Paul says to this church, our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. It is said among preachers that if you want to draw a crowd when you preach, you should preach on suffering. Because everybody is either suffering, just coming out of a time of suffering, or is about to enter into a time of suffering. And this passage is indeed about suffering. Suffering and affliction is mentioned seven times, but you know what's mentioned nine times? Comfort. So as you read through there, it's speaking of comfort, it's speaking also, yes, of suffering. What can we make of this passage? The big idea of this sermon, if we were going to put the whole sermon into one sentence, is that in the Christian life, the Christian life finds purpose, the Christian finds purpose in hope and suffering. The Christian finds hope and purpose in suffering and in comfort. We are hopeful when we suffer. We are hopeful when we are comforted and we are comforted by God and as Paul says here, we're also comforted by his people. Back when I was growing up, one of the most famous commercials of all time uh, really solidified the Pace Picante Company as the only legitimate picante sauce because it was made in San Antonio with real ingredients and all the other ones were made where? That was a brilliant advertising executive, if you remember that from all the... Now, the kids are like, what in the world are y'all talking about? So I asked Dale, can you play the commercial, Dale? Let's see if it'll play. If not, I'll just tell you about it. Can you full screen it? Hey, Cook, you okay. want picante sauce? This ain't paste picante sauce. What's the difference? Cookie, paste picante sauce is made in San Antonio. With fresh vegetables and spices by people who know what picante sauce is supposed to taste like. This stuff's made in New York City? New York City! Get a roll. Pick up the original <laughs> picante sauce. Pick up the pace. Does that bring back the memories, right? Y'all remember that? Get a rope. Yeah. It's a smart idea. Is that they got in the mind of the consumer to get them to buy the... We got another one here? Okay. Uh... <laughs> Get a rope. All right. So they got in the mind of the consumer as we were all watching that, that, you know, if you wanted to buy the real picante sauce, you bought Pace. And we especially probably thought that because Pace was made in Texas, and here we were living in Texas. Now, what I just told you is that the Christian life finds purpose and hope in both suffering for Christ and being comforted by Christ and his people. But I mentioned that one word there that people don't necessarily like to associate with the Christian life. What is that word? Suffering. 
suffering. Now, in Paul's day, just like in our day, there are different understandings out there about what the Christian life should be like. One of the criticisms whenever Paul was ministering to all these churches there in Asia was that one of the criticisms of Paul was that he was suffering. And if a man is blessed by God, why would he be suffering? How could the man of God suffer? How could Paul be an ambassador of the true gospel if he was suffering? And they struggled to see how Paul's gospel was the real thing. And Paul was saying, I know you've got these other people coming in. I planted your church. I'm the one who got this whole thing started for you. I'm your spiritual father, but now these super apostles are coming in, and they're coming in, and they're turning your heart against me with a gospel that's not the true gospel. Paul would say that gospel is not from Jesus. It's from New York City. Okay, he didn't say that. <laughs> so there was the true gospel that Paul was preaching, and he was saying, hey, in this Christian life, we're called to suffer with Christ. And they said, oh, I don't know. We like the comfort. We like the peace. We like all the blessings. Are you sure we've got to suffer? And some people would come into the church and they would say, oh, no, no, no. You don't have to suffer. That's never God's will for you. And did you know that in our day, the fastest growing counterfeit gospel out there is called the prosperity gospel? It's a gospel that says you are not supposed to be suffering. It asks the same question that those Corinthians were asking of Paul. How can suffering be part of God's plan? Let's take up that question. How can suffering, how can you suffering be part of God's plan? You've got your Kenneth Copelands out there who will just come out and say it. God wants you to be well. God wants you to be rich. God wants you to walk in favor. God wants you to fly in a jet just like my jets. God wants you to wear an expensive suit. He wants you to have fine jewelry. He wants you to have a house full of expensive antiques. That's how you know God's blessed you. That's how you know you're experiencing his favor. I trust you know when you hear stuff like that that you're not going to find that teaching in the Bible. But there's a softer prosperity gospel out there. I'm not worried about that. We know that's not right, that, that, that hardcore prosperity stuff. But there's a softer prosperity gospel out there and these preachers are much more pervasive. These preachers are the ones that are in your ears. They're the preachers. Many times they have uh, at their church the most popular music. And we sing some of it. If the song is good and true, and we can separate that from their teaching. But we have to be very careful. And these people will come and tell you God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Now Doug just got up here and said God has a plan for your life. And I would even say, yes, God's plan for your life is wonderful. If by wonderful you mean God's plan for your life is that you would be freed from the bondage of sin, that you would be walking in obedience to Jesus. But if most people hear God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, do you think they're thinking about freedom from sin and walking in obedience? I think if we read between the lines of what wonderful life means, it means God loves you and he wants you to live the American dream. It means being happy. 
It means that suffering is not the norm, but that when you suffer, it's an invasion into your life of something God wants you to get rid of. And all you have to do is be committed enough and then work hard enough and believe hard enough and God will take all that suffering out of your life. The prosperity gospel, this more uh, uh, sneaky version of it, says if you work hard enough for God, then God will work for you and give you what you really want, some sanctified version of the good life, healthy, well-adjusted children, a good self-improvement program, self-actualization, self-confidence, self, self, self. It sounds like the Burger King commercial to stick with our theme. Have it your way. You can have what you want. God's going to help you get what you want. The prosperity gospel is any gospel that really puts God working for you. But here's the reality. You don't call Jesus. He calls you. Then you call on him. We love him because he first what? Loved us. And Jesus did not call you to take up a Cadillac. Jesus did not call you to take up a fully funded retirement plan. Jesus calls his people to take up a cross, of which the song says is an emblem of suffering and shame. You see, those false gospels are popular because they make the Christian life all about you. The Christian life is all about Christ. The one we want to preach here is the one Paul preached. It's a gospel that says, come grab your cross and follow Jesus, the one who suffered and died. And you come to die to yourself. You give up your life. You surrender yourself to Jesus. You give up the lordship of your life and you say, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. This is what we preach. When Lakin was baptized moments ago, and as she takes the Lord's Supper here for the first time as a member of our church, that's what she's saying, isn't it? Jesus died for me. I will live for him. I was buried with Christ. And when he rose, I rose. He rose again. He ascended into heaven where he sits on the throne. Jesus is Lord whether you think he's Lord or not. And as Christians, we come and we lay down our lives for Jesus. And that's the miracle of faith, isn't it? It's amazing that a preacher can stand up and he can say, come follow Jesus and come live a life of suffering. Paul says, in our afflictions, as Christ's suffering overflows in our life, it's not if you're going to suffer, it's just when you're going to suffer. And that suffering is part of the Christian life. It's a reality of the Christian life that we will be afflicted and that we will suffer. That is the theme or one of the themes of this book, that the normal Christian life is a life of suffering. So are you suffering? Well, if you are, don't feel guilty. Are you suffering and you think something's wrong? Nothing's wrong. This is the way the Christian life operates. It's hard. There was nothing about, you know, Jesus wasn't called the man of happiness. What was he called? 
a man of sorrows. If we follow Jesus, there will be many, many times of great blessing in our life, but there will be a certain melancholy that will always be present. We can have great joy, but we will be suffering because we are not at home here. We're made for something greater. We're made for another place. We're made for a different kingdom. And one day you will be in that kingdom, believer, and it will be glorious, and there will be no tears. But we're not there yet. And so it's no wonder in a world that has fallen and so full of sin and full of evil, mean people that do awful things to one another, it would make sense that we're going to suffer. And it's a miracle that we can stand up here and say that to people and then say, who wants to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And people say, I, I, I don't know why. <laughs> this goes against all of what myself and my own heart wants, but I need Jesus. I want Jesus. That's the miracle. If you stood up here and said, hey, who wants to be rich? Who wants to be wildly successful in life? Here, just give me some money and you're going to have everything you want. Well, people flock to that. There's a reason that those guys are on TV and I'm not. Right? There's a reason they're wearing the, the uh, $2,000 suits and, I, and I'm, work, I'm working off the clearance rack, baby. <laughs> That's what people want. They want that gospel that tells them that it's all about them, but it's not. They want a gospel that says, hey, everything is going to be awesome, but the reality is it's not. And, and, and the reason it's so dangerous to have people think that if something's going wrong, something is wrong, that you don't have enough faith, that you're somehow messing up the Christian life if you're suffering, is that God has a purpose in your suffering. God has a purpose uh, in everything that happens. And, and part of that is when we suffer, we get to enjoy the comfort of God and the mercy of God. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercy, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our, all our affliction. Who comforts us in all our affliction. We are comforted in every affliction. There's not one affliction you will go through where God says, you're on your own here. No matter what it is. You mean, Paul, even when you were cold, you were comforted? When you were naked? When you were beaten? When you were in prison? When you were assaulted? When you were shipwrecked? When you were stoned? When you were betrayed? When you were deserted? When you were sick and despairing for your very life? Paul would say yes in Every and all afflictions, we are comforted. And then when you look at the second part of verse 4, you see the most important words in this chapter. Now you're looking at the, that verse, verse 4, you're saying, what could be the most important words in this chapter? And I'm going to tell you, it's not the words you think it is. Here's the words to underline. So that, so that, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. So that, there's a purpose in this. I am afflicted, I'm comforted in my afflictions so that I am able to comfort those 
who were in any affliction. Affliction and suffering are normal. They have a purpose. The purpose is that you will comfort those in affliction because you yourself have been comforted by God. What will my suffering do? My suffering will form me. It will bless me. It will grow me. But my suffering is not ultimately for me. Your suffering is not ultimately for you. It is so you might comfort others. Christianity does not ever allow us to be selfish or self-centered. Because that's not what Christ is about. Christ is not selfish. For as we, verse 5 says, are abundantly in Christ's suffering, as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. That's a strange statement there. That we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings. Part of the Christian life is that what Jesus suffered will overflow to us. We get the overflow of the sufferings. But we also get the overflow of the comfort. The key here is that the suffering and the comfort go hand in hand. Notice in verses 6 and 7, Paul talks about his affliction benefiting the Corinthians and even how they share in it. Look at how the comforting and the suffering cause them to be united together. In our comforting and in our suffering and in our comforting of one another, in our suffering with one another and our comforting of one another, we become unified. If we're afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation, he says in verse 6. If we're comforted, it's for your comfort. None of this is for me alone. And he said, you'll experience that comfort when you patiently endure the sufferings that we suffer. We're in this together. And because of that, he says in verse 7, our hope is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. What a connection between suffering and comfort. One great comfort is that suffering has its purpose. God will use every hardship you endure to serve others. When you suffer, others in this body share in your suffering. They are encouraged by your faithfulness. We can grow as we watch others grow. When I see you experiencing uh, the loss of a spouse or a child and you're grieving over that, it encourages me. And you can use that experience you've had to encourage others because you've been there and you've done that and it wasn't easy, but you've walked in those shoes. And so you can comfort others. That's God's purpose in your suffering. So I want to close by saying this. We don't need to shrink back from the suffering. It's easy to do that. It's easy to say, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about these hard things. I don't want to think about ultimate suffering. I, I think of Sandy was our financial secretary that passed away, uh, I guess, last month. And I think of what Sandy said as she was looking at death square in the face. And she said, I've wanted to live for Christ. And she said to me, but now I want to die as a testimony to him. I want my death to be a testimony to Jesus Christ. 
and we watched Sandy suffer, but we also had a front row seat to the comfort that God gave. Was it easy? No. Was it glorious? Yes. What a testimony her life and death were to Jesus. So don't shrink back from the suffering. Remember this C.S. Lewis quote, God whispers in our pleasure, but he shouts in our pain. God whispers in our pleasure, but he shouts in our pain. And I would add that he comforts us in our pain. And then he allows us to bless and comfort others who are suffering. Let's pray.